0: Lit Service is brought to you by Writer's Clearinghouse. Writer's Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. Now here's the show.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and the most adventurous thing I've ever done was jump off a high dive, and then I went to the higher high dive, and then I walked back down. My name is Caitlin, and the
0: most adventurous thing I've done is trek into Montana wilderness. I did not see any bears, but I did I'm, uh,
2: glad you didn't hike
0: miss. for long enough. Yeah, seriously. Well, I mean, they would actually, where we are, that's where they put grizzly bears that are misbehaving, like up at Glacier, so the ones who like people, they all lived out by where I used to live. Really? Yeah, but I went hiking with my kids all the time, so nobody ever ate us. I mean, no
3: bears ever ate us. Also people. Nobody. I hope but nobody you know, ever ate you. In
0: Montana,
4: I I wouldn't put it past like it wouldn't that's
0: be that far awesome. out of the
4: realm. Of... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm Kristen, and the most adventurous thing I've ever done is uh, kill a cottonmouth with a hoe.
3: Ugh!
1: Mm. Whoa,
4: that's pretty crazy. It was in a garden. I was trying to weed, and the old lady who lived there basically said, "Kill that there! Here, use this hoe and kill that there rattlesnake." <laughs> cotton mouth and I said uh are you serious and then I stabbed it and it was really scary
3: <laughs> oh my that's god that's kind of
1: beast Kristen <laughs> my god.
3: and then I stabbed it Perfect. <laughs> you stabbed it with a hoe I... I think bludgeoned is or or chopped
4: no uh, okay so maybe you it wasn't a hoe what stabbed it was like a pitchfork thing it had like I don't know what. The oh, okay, name
3: it so it was a spork toe kind of thing. It just thing? had yeah, like two little you.
4: prongs. You know what I'm talking <sighs> got about? Got it. Yeah. So yeah, it,
3: I know what you're talking about. So there
4: was there were holes and blood, and it was really scary. <laughs>
3: that is crazy. Well, I'm glad you didn't get eaten or I mean not eaten, but bitten by a rattlesnake. <laughs> Me too. Nice.
2: Well, I'm Cameron, and the most high octane thing I have ever done was contradict Brandon Sanderson to his face about writing.
0: Oof, oof. Oh, oh, what? I, uh, I don't really uh, Whatever.
3: <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I would count that as high adventure. But but I guess if you're questing to questing to to overthrow the the overlords of of fiction, then
2: all I know is there was enough associated adrenaline that I don't remember anything after
3: that. So okay. <laughs> I am Ben. the most high adventure thing I've ever done is go snow caving in sub zero temperatures.
4: That sounds cold Ooh, and horrible.
0: At what point does it go from high adventure to just like death of stupid or like <laughs> well,
3: <I'm British. laughs>
0: I wasn't gonna say that. I was
3: gonna say we had, we had heaters
1: just, you know did you really oh well, oh yeah. A big welcome to our special guest today, agent and editor Ben Grange from the L. Perkins Agency. Thanks for coming on the show, Ben.
3: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
1: And now we have a very special announcement from our one and only Caitlin Sangster. I just wanted to remind anybody who's in the Utah Valley
0: area that my book is coming out. At the beginning of November. It comes out in November. Yay! It comes out on November 12th, and I'm doing a book launch event at Provo Library up in the attic at 7 p.m., and I would love to see any lit service listeners who care to come
1: there. So check out her website, CaitlinSangster.com, for more information. Today's discussion topic is high-concept fiction. So what the heck do we mean by high-concept?
3: I, I mean, high concept, basically, a boil down is essentially something that has mass appeal. So speculative, thriller, suspense, etc., any of the genres that sell tons of copies, uh, that's what an editor is going to define as high concept. And a lot of the time, the high concept titles are smart, they're engaging, they're plot driven, they're fast paced, and that's what will will uh, qualify them as high concept.
0: I feel like that's the result, that they sell more copies and that they're fast and stuff. But I feel like actually trying to define something like your own work is high concept goes a little bit deeper than that. Because I feel like they have to be easy to consume. Like the plot can't be too twisty or crazy. I mean, I guess there are some, there's high concept books that are twisty and crazy, but it just, it can't be too difficult to read.
3: I think... I think, um, yeah, I agree with that. It can't be too difficult to read. People have to be able to to follow to follow it easily. Um, But you can have plenty of plot twists. Plot. I I don't think plot twists would would, having several plot twists wouldn't would dequalify something or disqualify something from being high concept. I think, I I guess, I think the 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 easiest way for me to see something as high concept is to know what the stakes are in the story, and if they are high stakes and like really in your face, engaging and You know, you can't put the book down, kind of stakes, then that's what I'm going to see as a high concept book.
0: I guess I don't mean like plot twists. I mean like plots with lots and lots of elements that go into them. Like if you have like three or four different side stories that then inform the main plot and you have to remember a lot of information in order to understand
4: what's going on, like that's. So we would say high stakes, engaging, and maybe easily pitched and summarized. So it's something that it's easy to tell other people what's so interesting about the book and you don't have to go delving off into like six or seven plot lines in order to explain it. Uh, The Raven Boys by Maggie Steve Fodder would not be high concept. (laughs) <laughs> um and probably but oh, it's, it's no. lovely we don't want to say we don't want to say that high concept <laughs> books
0: are good or bad or otherwise we're just trying to describe a lot of us on the podcast like less high concept books and so I'm afraid we're going to come across wrong when we're talking about
2: it. <laughs> to continue to make this absolutely clear as mud I was going to throw in my own definition for consideration and that as I was thinking about a lot of books that at least As I was listening to y'all talk, that I would label high concept, I noticed that a lot of them had a kind of defining "what if" question that's really succinct and is by itself easy to hold on to, but then provokes a really interesting subsequent story. So, Hunger Games proposes the "what if"? What if we put a couple dozen kids in an arena and they fight to the death? That's like that succinct "what if." Or you could say Maze Runner is "what if we drop." How many people is it? It's like a 100 teenage boys in the middle of a giant maze. What if? What if Jurassic Park? What if a theme park cloned dinosaurs?
0: I think it's true that there is a core concept that, like Kristen said, is really easy to pitch and then evokes like a very specific idea that people are interested in exploring, like Jurassic Park or The Hunger Games. However, if you're talking about a high concept pitch of something, you can't couch it that way because people don't like what if questions. At least agents don't.
3: I think agents don't like rhetorical questions in general. I mean, like if you can ask yourself this what if question and boil your plot down into, you know, what if a theme park cloned dinosaurs, you can define your story as high concept. And I should clarify this, that that if you go on to explain that your plot actually has high stakes, then you can you can qualify it as as a high concept book. Um, but then in your query or your pitch, you're, don't you're not going to if. be like, don't, so what don't if, don't say, don't you know, say what if a theme park um, clone want... dinosaurs
2: say a theme park clones dinosaurs
3: and people die. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, that's exactly right.
0: Just to throw some titles out there. We already said the Hunger Games, but like in the YA world, there was like a big slew of them matched or <laughs> the Red Queen, I would say is
4: very high concept. Though I do not think the sequels are. Daughter of a Pirate King. The pitch is in the title and it's pretty straightforward.
3: I mean, even even Brandon's Steelheart Reckoner series is high concept. Like super, super simple to define and very superhero hasty.
1: powers
4: make you evil.
3: Yep.
1: Okay. So why are agents and editors so into high concept books? What's the deal?
3: Well, they're easy to sell. Sorry, I don't really make the rules here, but that's what that's what people are looking for because that's what sells so i thought kristen
2: said it really nice in her notes where what's really nice about a high concept book is that if your friend asks what are you reading you can say a theme park clans clones dinosaurs rather than trying to explain well it's like this pseudo victorian magical realism setting and there's like this huge trade empire and there's like this drug and bad stuff happens and it, <laughs> it, it makes word of <laughs> mouth i absolutely <yeah>. love <laughs> six of so crows but
3: it's not it is not easy to explain i, I just want to say like a few quick things about why agents and editors are so into high concept books. Like on a basic level, when you query an editor or an agent and you give them your pitch, a high concept pitch is naturally going to draw out the high stakes and the plot from your story. And if you can get that down on paper really well, then an editor or an agent's going to be automatically interested in seeing if that's what they're looking for specifically because you've done a really good job of pitching your book. And that's the kind of thing that they want to see in a query. They want to see stakes. They want to see character. They want to see what's going to happen to this, this person or the these this group of people and what's going to happen if they don't accomplish this thing. So that's what makes a query great and that's what makes high concept books easy to sell and easy to, to digest is that they're simple and in your face and, you know, when you're looking through a, a bunch of queries, you know, 100 queries and, and you, you get to that high concept book, it's easily digestible and you connect with it easier than some other stories. And if that is specifically what you're looking for, Then you pick that up and you say, hey, I want to take a deeper look at this. And if you like the writing, then you ask the author for their stuff and then you send it to an editor if you decide to work with them. And the editor wants that same kind of stuff. And so that's just like the whole snowball of why people want to see these high concept kinds of books.
4: And I think part of what makes them sell so well is that they cross various markets. Like, if you think about The Hunger Games, it wasn't just teenagers reading The Hunger Games. It was so easily digestible that it was anybody reading it. I mean, the pitch Gladiator meets reality TV is a really interesting premise that automatically makes it easier to recommend and to share with people and to make
1: a heck of a ton of money. Mm -hmm. So then when I go in to pitch my book, how do I make it sound high concept if it isn't necessarily high concept?
3: Well, you can't.
0: (laughs) I actually think that you... You cannot misrepresent your book and try to make it sound like something that it's not. Because as soon as mm-hmm. somebody reads it, they're going to be like, yeah, this isn't what you pitched me.
3: Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say something very, very definitive here. I don't, and I don't want to sound a like, know-it-all or whatever. But you as an author cannot qualify your book in your pitch. Otherwise, you're going to come across as too pitchy, I guess. Like um, if you
0: say this is a high concept book. Yeah,
3: like you're not mm-hmm. going to want to say that. You're going to want to let the agent or editor decide if this is a high concept book. Just the same way that you wouldn't say that you won't want, you don't want to tell an editor that they're going to laugh out loud when they read your book. You want them to go and read it and they can laugh out loud. You don't want to say that the pacing is great. You want to have an editor or an agent go and read your book and and determine for themselves if the pacing is in fact great. and, And the same goes for a high concept book. You can't say this is a high concept book for you to consider. You want to give me the stakes in your pitch. And then if I determine that this indeed is a high concept book, then, you know, that's that's my judgment to make as the professional.
0: Absolutely. So when I when I wrote this question, I was thinking about it more in terms of being capable of pitching your work without diving into like what Cameron said, like it's a Victorian magical realism something 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 something. Um mm-hmm. it's a skill that you have to have in order to convey your book even if it isn't high concept. Like Ben is saying you can't be like this is high concept and you will love it. You yep. have to be able to to show that there are elements of your story that are going to be easy to digest because in every story there are some of those otherwise Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be a story anyone wanted to read
3: yeah absolutely
4: so part of that i think is making really clear stakes if your pitch has a really obvious stake and it's a pretty high one then it's going to help make it sound and feel slightly more high concept especially if that is the way that your book is written (laughs) one thing that sometimes people say can help you, I guess, identify if a book is high concept as if it's something that's like X meets Y. So like I said with The Hunger Games, Gladiator meets reality TV, where you're easily combining the two and seeing a result of something.
0: I feel like truly high concept books hang really tight with those comparisons where it's X plus Y, and non-high concept books are like, this is the general space I'm in, but it's something yeah. completely different. <laughs> I think something that helps me when I'm doing this, not that I'm good at it. Actually, I was just talking about writing synopsis in my notes. And I was like, Ben's going to laugh because the last synopsis I spent sent in was like 15 pages. (laughs) But when you're writing a two-page synopsis, (laughs) which it worked for who we were pitching it to.
3: And it it did work, and we sold the book, so it was awesome.
0: (laughs) But generally speaking, when you are writing a synopsis or writing like a query letter, you can't put in all of the elements that are going to be in your book. Even a high-concept book is going to have things that don't make it into the query letter or into the synopsis that that are interesting and that add to it. And so something that helps me is that I choose... One storyline to emphasize in my pitch or my synopsis. I remember when I first started writing query letters, I'd be like, but it's so important that you know about this side character and this person because they're so important to the climax, but it's not. Yeah, well, and that's not what a synopsis is about either. It's about getting across the general idea of where your story starts, where the middle is, and where it finishes – And you don't need to know about XYZ side character. You don't need to know about, like, all of the little things that play in. They just need to know, like, the major beats. And it's really hard to peel those back because you wrote your book and you want every single one of the 100,000 words you put into it because otherwise they wouldn't be in there. But you just have to learn to peel it back. Just this last couple of months, I was at a convention and I was hand selling my book to people at a booth. And I did not do a good job. That's okay. I mean, I sold some books, but I am not good at doing that. But I was listening to people around me who, based on who they're talking to, they could pitch a specific part of their book. Like if they're talking to somebody who likes sci-fi plus war, they're like, oh, my book has sci-fi and war, and here's the real part of the book that does have that. Or there are people who like a complicated romance or people who like horror, and you pitch based on who it is you're pitching to. You find a high-concept sort of sounding thing that delivers in your text, but sounds more high concept than all of the extra stuff that people try to put into
1: pitches. Okay, great discussion, team. Now we're going to move on to the second portion of our podcast where we critique an audience submission. So, quick review. We try to be non-prescriptive. But if you'd like to check out the text of the submission and see all of our notes, check on our website, litnation. And if you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. A quick summary... In this submission, a rebel-slash-criminal-slash-robber guy... How would you say that? <laughs> I think all the slashes worked just fine. Rebel-criminal. Rebel... Okay, a rebel with a mad <laughs> god... Okay, in this submission, a rebel-slash-criminal with a mad god living in his mind plans to kill the emperor so, of the land. I was
2: say, speaking of really great one-sentence elevator pitches, is that not great? I mean, we kind of just butchered it, but... <laughs>
0: I would try to stay away from slashes.
4: <laughs> oh, oh,
3: yes, just in general. So I would, I would just say criminal right there. I
4: think so too, because he doesn't but. really seem like he's a rebel anymore.
3: But, I mean, we 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 wrote this, not the author, so
2: it's our fault.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wrote it like three seconds ago.
3: I actually, it actually used to say robber, and I replaced it with criminal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sorry, I no, no We're really,
3: self-sabotaging.
1: i really appreciated the first line and i don't have this mission pulled up right now does anybody have the first line up Coyle stared at the new wanted po- poster of himself
4: plastered over every shop window every alley wall
1: so exciting so that line right there kind of gives us the place he's at the stakes and a little bit about him too because he's staring at his own wanted poster so i thought that was an excellent first line
3: yeah, I think I think actually the concept of this first line works super well. I might tweak the wording a little bit, but like it does kind of imply that he's looking at every poster at the same time, yeah. but the yes. concept is great. Yes, agreed 100%. It's a it's a good start to a very very good first line.
2: I love
4: the world building that we get in this. Basically, everyone <laughs> If you have a, an ability of some sort or magic, you also have a god living in your head that talks to you and that may or may not necessarily line up with your goals, which we see happening with Coil.
3: See, I'm not sure th- here. Sorry, I'm just going to mm-hmm. like interject here. Yeah. I think that's the case. Like, It sounds like if you get a god to live inside you, then you get a power, but I wasn't 100% sure on that in these first 10 pages. So like, I don't need to know that immediately. But do the gods grant them power or do the gods decide to take residence in them and give them power? Exactly. Like, like I wanna know that, but I'm not sure if I need to know that immediately.
4: There's some the fact really that cool you want to know it mm-hmm. is a good reason to keep reading, right? Oh that one's propelling me forward. I want an answer to that one. But I'll that's actually a reader response. That.
0: I really liked the way that that information was exposed to and also the idea that you could steal gods from other people and that the king has more than one living inside of his head. So obviously he has come to power by stealing magic from other people, which I think is cool. Talk
2: about like an amazing source of conflict for like the entire narrative that the main character always has someone in his head who is fundamentally opposed to him. Like the guy... <laughs> if 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 so desired, there could never be a peaceful moment.
1: As someone who struggles with names, thinking of names that don't sound stupid, I really appreciated the names in the submission. The criminal man is named the Eye of Rava, and um, the emperor god king thing is named the Kaiser Rex, which I thought just were really good, solid names. I want to come back to that one.
4: Uh, <laughs> we w- we <laughs> will come back
3: to that one later, but that's okay. okay. I mean, I will I will concur. Also, there were some really clever names in here, like Yako and coyle and uh, a couple other ones I don't I didn't really love the name clever but you know well neither here nor there
0: I really like there's a casual drop that coyle has at some point in the past lost control himself and murdered a bunch of people and he just kind of drops it in and is like yeah that happened
4: well and then it was the God that did it and it's implied that the God is the one that painted the like rebel like insignia there which really is interesting about the god's motivations yakko's motivations so i don't know there's a lot of things to consider and a lot of questions that are being asked here and a lot of promises that are being made about yeah i think
3: i think one of the biggest things here is there are a lot of promises that are being made in this first chapter i really liked a lot of it actually um like the magic system, the world building the characterization, like there was a lot of solid stuff here. I think a, I think it could still use a little bit of development in all of those areas, but it's a, it's a really, really solid start. I'm not sure if this is a first draft or if this is a 10th draft, but I like where this is and I can see that it has potential to move forward into something that is really solid as a first chapter.
0: So not to put you on the spot, mm-hmm. but if this came into your inbox, would you request Pages?
3: I don't know. See, this is, this is a hard question for me right now, personally, because I'm closed to queries, so it wouldn't, I mean, if it came into my inbox, I would delete it.
0: I'm not talking about literally, I'm just talking about the story. I don't,
3: I don't know. Like, I like the concept a lot, and it, this, like, this is the perfect week to talk about high concept, because talk about high concept, this is a really high concept plot or, or idea. Like, you know, this, this character's motivation is to kill the emperor god or king, or whatever it is. And I I like that. But I I think that the first chapter needs a little bit more development. And if the first chapter needs a little bit more development, then I'm going to probably see that later on, chapter 2, chapter 3, etc., are also going to need more development. So I would probably say, like, send this to me after you've gotten it, critiqued, and revised it.
1: So let's go ahead and transition with that then. So what are some things that might need a second look? So this is
0: really super picky, just about that first line about him looking at a wanted poster. It then immediately says that the wanted poster is a picture of a man with a hood over his face, so you can't actually see him. And I was wondering why they took the trouble of putting the man on it if you couldn't actually find somebody based on it.
3: I I agreed with
2: that. I thought that was a little weird. I can see like a giant bureaucratic state doing that anyway, because that's just the way they do things. But if that's the (laughs) case, it might, it might need a lampshade that
4: that I had a problem with it too. So one
3: of the things, one of the things that I think needs the most work here is the narrative way that, that it goes about doing things. I mean, um, just saying like in the first line, like I agree that the concept here is a great first line. But there is a lot of this throughout this, the the novel. Like it says, Coyle stared at the new wanted poster of himself. And anytime you get into telling the reader what your main character is seeing instead of just describing it, then you're getting into a into a, into a tricky spot. You're you're writing yourself into a corner. You want to to leave room for the narrative to just be what it is without. Reading through your character, like your character I mean it's fine that your character sees things, but your character doesn't always have the narrative doesn't always have to be through your your character seeing things, and if you could take those out of your story, it's going to be a lot faster. The pacing is going to to move along a lot quicker, so I think that kind of uh throughout the throughout the pages that's one of the things that I would say, like try not to do that as much.
2: I mean so this is a shot in the dark, but I imagine it's there because the author wanted to get the character's name on the page really quick which it does do successfully. But yeah, I agree that if you can find a way to do that without filter, I think filtering is the word Caitlin uses. And she likes, yeah, that's a good a word for it. Yeah.
3: So, I mean, I think the, the difference between a good narrator, as in like you, the author narrating your story is going to come from how you describe the world as your character is experiencing it without using your character's senses explicitly, like saying sees and feels and hears and, and things like that. Like, Coyle heard a loud noise, or you can just describe the loud noise, or Coyle saw the the wanted poster, or you can just describe the wanted poster, that kind of thing.
4: On a slightly more plot-based note, I was a little confused by Clever's relationship with Coyle. I felt like Coyle acted like he was really familiar with the kid and that he cared about him, and Yakko clearly thinks that he does because he kind of taunts him about about killing the kid. Um, But there's some rehashing of what I've thought they probably should already know, like, who their gods are and what they can do because of them. So I was wondering if we were getting into maiden butler territory. And it also made me wonder why Coyle keeps Clever around if he's serving as a spy for someone that he doesn't actually want to be observed for. So I just had a lot of big question marks from that interaction.
1: See, I did too, but I actually almost appreciated not having all the answers right now. It made the possibilities of what their relationship actually is feel more complicated to me. So that was something I actually enjoyed. but. So this is
0: something that might need a second look. Any description of an entire people as savage is kind of not a cool thing to do. So you could have a POV character who is biased or racist, but you would need lots and lots of markers showing that not everybody is. And the word savage has so many negative connotations in our culture that you might not be able to get away with using it at all.
3: I would say that just take it out completely. Like I made a note in there that I would reject a book based on this word alone in most instances. So like, just don't use that word.
0: Well, and also, and Cameron made this point. So maybe Cameron wants to make this point,
2: but. Sure. I I just noted that I don't know if I necessarily agree that you have to have tons of not racist people to overbalance it i think you could accomplish the same thing with other forms of lampshading but that there, there does need to be obsequious amounts of lampshading that this this just because everyone has this opinion doesn't mean it's it's uh correct what
4: caitlin wanted cameron to say is the comment about that this word in this story is specifically tied to a jungle people and oh that one
2: uh, yeah, and on that, top of that, that makes it twice as bad.
4: clever, yes. who is one of them, I think is described as having soil colored skin. And so then you've got brown skin in there and it's a big problem.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I guess I should clarify, like, it is okay to have racist people in your story, like more than okay, because there are racist people in this world that presents a, a tension and it gives your character something to fight for. And that's, that's perfectly fine. Like, I don't want to say that you can't have racist people in your story not like defending racist people or anything here representations just, of real just,
0: conflict can be meaningful
3: yeah it, it does but i i do want to clarify that if you're using the word like savage in your narrative as a colloquial word that everybody just uses to describe people then like absolutely not
0: i think that even if you've got a character who's having like a redemption arc thing happening where they're like, I'm starting as racist and then I'm not going to be at the end of the book. You can still get into a lot of trouble just having those things in your book Mm -hmm. because there's so many like hurtful things that can happen to people who read the book and people want to stay away from that. So,
3: yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's an, it's an okay thing. Like people, some people are raised in racist atmospheres and that's just like what they grow up with and the good people will grow out of that and learn how to challenge their biases and, and really recognize who they are. But I i mean, just even in today's atmosphere and in the political climate that we're in and um, like- it's I It's just would, a
0: little too real.
3: Yeah, I would say just like that, that kind of a narrative isn't even viable in in the marketplace right now.
1: This is nitpicky, but when Quail first says Clever's name, I didn't realize he was saying a name, but I actually enjoyed the name Clever. I thought it was kind of fun because Clever enjoys it too. I have to come back to Kaiser Rex. Just the fact that Rex is Latin for king
4: and that Kaiser, Ben has told me, is German for emperor, not king. Initially, I read it and I was like, oh, king, king. This is great. But either way, it's emperor, king, but it's emperor, king in two separate languages that exist on our planet. And it makes me wonder, like, do Latin and German exist in this world? And it just raised a lot of questions for me and felt more redundant than useful.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: I mean it could be it could be like a super awesome world building thing but just given that like I mean I could be wrong but I don't think any of the other names we get are latin or german so it just feels it feels out of place to me too
3: about uh just appropriation here like there seem to be a lot just with with naming specifically um I didn't really get a sense of any other kind here but with with names you you definitely want to be careful not to just pull things from other cultures because they sound good because that doesn't really belong in the story first of all and it doesn't really belong to what you're you're writing so be careful not to just appropriate something into your story specifically here in the naming conventions because it sounds fun
2: my my last thought as far as the world building goes is i really wish i had a better idea of what coils thinks his relationship to rava is i'm okay not actually knowing that but i i don't know if i'm i don't know what coil thinks it is and i feel like at 10 pages and that's something i should know given that it appears to have like it's it's either it's kaiser Rex or, or rava that has the defining influence on his life and we know what kaiser Rex is, is i wish i knew
3: more about just just a little bit more about what he thinks rava did to incite the whole murder people thing i have one other thought about this i think one of the biggest things i see in this in these first 10 pages is just the overall pacing of it the main character's goals throughout the the main character has this this great goal of killing the the emperor king the kaiser rex like that's absolutely a high concept stake and it sounds like it's going to be a fun journey getting to that point where they you know duke it out with their magic systems at the end of the story but this first chapter doesn't really lead me anywhere i don't get a sense that this main character has any idea what he's doing in the first chapter and he doesn't really have a purpose or even a short-term goal that's going on that's that's guiding what's happening in the first chapter and it's just a series of things that happen to lead the story to him you know meeting this this girl that he's uh, supposedly engaged to and then talking about what they're going to do uh, which is kidnap this high power person in the government and like that sounds like something that i would want to start the story on like we're going to go kidnap this guy right now and, and we're, we're going to go do it. Um, but rather we kind of start off the story with this introspective look at like what's happened before. And all of this stuff is good backstory and information and, and everything, but it's not very engaging as far as the pacing goes. So I'd kind of want to see a first chapter that has a little bit more action to it. And it doesn't have to be fighting or anything, just the main character actively doing something for a purpose.
1: Okay. Awesome. Thanks to this author for submitting. I personally felt like it was one of the best submissions we've received and I really enjoyed it. So thanks from Lit Service for submitting. And Ben, thank you for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to hear you and we love getting your thoughts.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Our next guest will be Ben. We'll use another submission from this week's episode. So if you submitted, be sure to tune in because it could be yours. Thank you to our intern, Sarah Doyle, who is the synod to our Katniss. She makes all of us look good. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on Twitter at Litservice or on Facebook and Instagram as at Litservice Podcast. We frequently do challenges where you can win books or first chapter critiques, so check us out. Or you can email us at LitservicePodcast at gmail.com. Litservice is brought to you by Writer's Clearinghouse. Writer's Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.ridersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.